I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to After Law, broadcasting from the beautiful South Berlin. Except no sandwiches. Hello dear listeners, welcome to Achtung Millwall. This is another edition of Nick and Neil's Millwall History Hour. And joining me is my compadre, Mr. Neil Fissler. How are you doing, Neil? Good, e- good afternoon, Nick. I almost said good evening. It's that dark outside at, <laughs> at four in the afternoon. <laughs> Autumn is dawning, um, probably rain the other day and summer is now a distant memory. The cricket season is long gone. But, dear listeners, we are going to do another of our looks back in look looks back into the past. If that makes any sense, but we're going to be reviewing the fixtures for October, Neil, um, the beginning of of, uh, of autumn. Um, and first up on Saturday, we have an away trip to to Barnsley, it's, which is always a, always seems like a grim trip to me. Barnsley, um, it's, it's one of those. It's an odd odd place. <laughs> And it's it's actually quite a nice stadium when you get there, but it always seems grimmer than it, it maybe it actually is. Mate, Barnsley is one of those places where you can't wait to get back out and back on the train <laughs> to London, isn't it? Yeah, well, let's be honest. Have you ever been there and it's been a nice, bright, sunny day? I think every time I've ever been there, it's been pissing down with rain. And Well, this is it. I, I went there... Oh, 2017-ish, and it was March, and it was actually snowing there. It was like late March. You think this ought to be getting towards summertime now, and it was it was snowing there. It was really, really cold. So Barnsley versus Millwall, Neil. Um, we're looking back at fixtures from the past and, and um, matters-related listeners. So I've chosen the fixture here, Neil, which was a, a, a win. Um, in fact, I did see a win in 2017, and this is another win. From January 1991, a 2-1 win for the Lions at, at Barnsley. And this would be under the reign of Bruce Rioch, um, 1990-91, our first season back in Division 2 after the the uh, the brief uh, supernova of our first Division days. Yeah, I think it's quite safe to say that we were going through a bit of a change, weren't we? <laughs> we were. Um... The winds of change and... Bruce Rioch, I mean, I'm, immediately I'm off on a tangent now. This is this is just how this show rolls, listeners. But Bruce Rioch, I always found him an intriguing manager because he had this, um, and the players I know uh, didn't take to him. He had a fairly militaristic kind of um, persona. But the football that he aspired to and the players that he picked were quite creative and quite, um, I suppose nowadays you'd call them continental style, beautiful game style players. It was an odd contrast, Rioch, I found. Yeah, Rioch was one of those people where he was a sergeant major type, wasn't he? Yeah, it shirt was, and tie. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it was, it, yeah, it was a kind of bloke, it's either my way or the highway. And uh, I think he probably quite easy to rub people up the wrong way. Oh, I think I would have hated him. I, I, could, I can't imagine working for him. Every story I've heard about Bruce Rioch, I think I would have rowed with him immediately because he just isn't. But I, 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 as a fan, I, I remember it was, I mean, Mick McCarthy would bring his players to to pass as playing some of the best football I think I've ever seen from a Millwall side, 93, 92 kind of era. But it was the creation of Bruce Rioch. It was just that he couldn't man-manage, I don't think. 
Yeah, no, well, you look at the side, and he yeah. had some great Millwall players, and he had some generally some pretty good players. Absolutely. I'm just run through the just run through the starting eleven for this two one win against Barnsley, twelfth of Jan nineteen ninety one, in front of just under eight thousand at uh, Oakwell. Um and the bones of of the classic side really Neil Brian Horn in goal, Ian Dawes, backline, Steve Wood, Alan McCleary, Keith Stevens. Midfield, Les Briley and Gary Waddock. Um Herlock having moved on, of course, towards the latter part of the first division days. But Waddock was was a decent midfielder, maybe not a Millwall player, but a, a decent midfielder. Public of Ireland on the twenty, uh, Yevla Republic of Ireland international. Yes, he was. Quite a lot with QPR. Yes, a skillful player. Um, wasn't wasn't a Millwall player, and that's that's that hard to define thing. Um, then either side, you've got Alex Ray, who is a classic, classic player, wonderful player. And Paul Stevenson, who was the uh, the, the winger that ob- uh, famously scored the goal at Anfield when, in our trip to Liverpool in that first season. And up front, two fantastic players, Neil. Um, Teddy Sheringham, who, you know, needs no introduction. And and uh, John Goodman, who we'd signed from Bromley. Um, from Bromley, £30,000. And I think you've actually missed off... Yeah, did you mention Les Briley played in that game? In, in midfield, yeah. It's Waddock and Briley in midfield. Um, I mean, Briley was John a great Goodman, serve. Tremendous signing. One hell of a signing, wasn't he? John Goodman. And we picked him up for a song. And I think it's another player that we almost signed accidentally. Yeah, I mean, I think he... he did he join us under Rioch or was it was it John, um, John Doherty? I, I can't remember now, but he's, he certainly came to us... He came to the fore in this season, 1990-91, and there he is starting alongside Teddy. Um, he was signed in that August, so it must have okay. been signing. Yeah. To sign a player from Bromley, non-league Bromley, obviously, um, for thirty thousand, which wasn't, um, I suppose, it was it was it was a moderate fee for the times. But you just wouldn't do that nowadays. You wouldn't pitch a player straight in from non-league straight into <laughs> into the championship and. He hits the ground literally running because he was he was a very pacey forward, John Goodman, wasn't he? Yeah, funnily enough, he, he yeah, in much the same way as Neil Harris, he mm. made that step up almost effortless, effortlessly. Absolutely, and uh, interestingly, he'd actually never played for Bromley. Did he not? No, I didn't know that. I didn't he, know that. He he at, Bromley signed him from Leighton Wingate. I believe. Wow, well, there's a name from the past. Yeah. And uh, okay. I think he'd been a youngster at West Ham. Right. And, uh, yeah, well, I'm cheating here, actually. I'm reading from from the middle. Reveal your secrets, Fizzler. <laughs> this is how um, we present an image. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, he didn't ever actually play for Bromley. I, I, I didn't know that. Well, we must have played him in a pre-season game or something like that, I yeah. presume. Or somebody had wandered into Bromley one day and saw him playing a pre-season friendly and thought, he'll do for us. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, obviously, the, um, the up front, we'd lost Cascarino the previous season as, as the, the wheels were coming off of our you know classic first division side. Sheringham, amazingly, by modern standards, had stayed on with us uh, and would actually go on to a record-breaking 38 goals scored from 55 appearances in the second tier, Teddy Sheringham, um, which is an incredible... And it is incredible he stayed and then he performed incredibly in that division that season. Yeah, no, I can remember John Goodman's goal scoring. Always thought had it in him. Absolutely, known nicknamed Elvis by the uh, by the Millwall crowd on account of his dark um, dark locks on on his head. He made 110 appearances for the Lions between 1990 and 1994. He stayed with us quite a while, actually. Um, I didn't realise he'd stayed that long. Not four years. 110 appearances, nil 17 as sub, and scored 37 goals. That's a pretty decent return from 110 appearances. It's a very good return, and. Uh... I think he was part of that wrath of players that went from Millwall to Wimbledon, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he sold in, in I mean the club was in financial difficulties. When when is it ever not in financial difficulties? <laughs> um and we sold Kenny Cunningham and John Goodman as a as a joint deal. It's, it seems cheap even now, but for one point three million for two 
fantastic players in their different ways. Kenny Cunningham was a great defender and, and uh, John Goodman played in this game. Was a great striker, a very fast, um, speedy player. Um, I must admit, when we signed John Goodman, I remember wondering what we were going to get up front because although Teddy had stayed, I wondered whether Teddy would actually perform. Uh, if we needed his Cascarino, so to speak, to perform, but he gave us the answer this season, didn't he, with 38 goals? Yeah, absolutely. He, you're quite rightly, despite the fact he's been a fan of every club he's ever signed for, which I don't, I, went, I down, which I don't think went down too well when he signed for that mob across the river. No, <laughs> no, no. I think he, it's... he seems to have taken on the pantomime villain whenever he appears at Millwall. I, I find that, um, uh, well, I mean, I, th- I think it, 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 if it, if you're a fan that didn't live through these days, then maybe that's that's your maybe it's easier to fall into that 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 trap i think i can't for, I, I can forgive teddy Sheringham a lot for for those days the 88 to 90 period and then to score 38 goals for us in in a, in a season is you know it's, it's old school it harks back to the 1930s type strikers neil that we we talk about sometimes you know some yeah great and uh give i think we're going to talk about one or two strikers so this finished um two one to Millwall, um, one nil to Barnsley on fifteen minutes. I think is that Steve Agnew, yeah, Steve Agnew for fifteen minutes. Um, one each, just a few minutes later, from a Teddy uh, penalty on nineteen minutes, and a decisive strike just before half time by Alex Ray um, on in the thirty ninth minute for two one. Um, and Millwall boss Bruce Riach admitted after the game it's a hard-earned point. We had to weather the storm. So you're weathering a storm in Barnsley. It takes a man to do that, I'll tell you that much. Um, <laughs> there we are. So that's that's the first of our series of fixtures for October. Um, now, next up, Neil, I've picked up when I was actually at. I was at this game. It's, it's a strange thing, listeners, when your life becomes history because I was at Millwall 4, Luton Town 2 in 1976 and there is coverage of this on on YouTube and it's I recommend anyone I'll stick the link in the um, show notes when we put it out because it was it was featured on the big match and I well remember going along to Colblow Lane and they we never used to have a, a TV gantry and so they had to erect a scaffold on the halfway line which could be shaken by fans at the base they could shake it and wobble the, the thing and sometimes you'll see some of the old camera work looks a bit bouncy. It's because they're on a scaffold. Because they're <laughs> trying to bring down Brian Moore, weren't they? Well, he was always a, he was always a friend to Millwall. He always seemed to be a friend, but he used to get some torrid abuse when he was. He had to walk through the the crowd to get to a ladder that would enable him to climb up the scaffold gantry, um, which had to be erected every whenever the cameras came. It didn't come that often. It was always ITV. Very rarely BBC, but ITV more more commonly. And so, yeah, this the, the big match footage is, is online. Um, well worth a look. Great game. The dingy den floodlights as the game wore on, because it was now in the, the onset of, um, of winter in November 1976. Uh, and a great team that took the field that day. No substitutions in this game, Neil. But I'm going to read their names out, if I may. That's Ray Goddard in goal. Then you've got a back line of Dave Donaldson, Barry Kitchener, uh, Tony Hazel, Ray Evans. That was a wonderful player, Ray Evans. Time from Tottenham. Yeah, um, very um, classy, classy player. Uh, midfield of uh, Terry Brisley and Phil Walker, we've spoken to previously on this show. Then Trevor Lee's on, on the right side and... Terry Shanahan, a player I'd forgotten until I once again I looked at YouTube. That's the wonder of, of uh, the internet. Terry Shanahan played as a winger, very dark eyes, a kind of uh, it seemed to have eyes in in cheekbone type look, you know. Um, John Seisman up front, a great striker for the Lions, and a player I'd completely forgotten, um, completely erased. Chris Harris from my Mine's uh, my memory banks, but he played just three times that season for the Lions. Um, no substitutions in this game. That was that was the starting eleven that started and finished it. Well worth a look. I don't know if you ever check out some of these old um, footages on on YouTube. No, it's uh, lots and lots to to be gleaned on on YouTube. Old 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 games, and uh, it's wonderful to look at this stuff. Yeah, no, it's always quite good to get to actually go down that rabbit hole, isn't it? Of uh, absolutely uh, big match live actually. 
Chris Harris is quite a nice guy. I've spoken to him a few times. Really? I'd forgotten yeah. he played for us, mate. I've completely forgotten he, him. Well, he was an apprentice stonemason who was on the verge of signing for, yeah, for Millwall. Right. Uh, okay. So, yeah, was on, yeah, was actually on the verge of signing for Brighton, sorry, when Millwall stepped in for him. Right. He was actually, uh, he was actually a Gordon Jago signing. Okay. And opted to sign for us because we were in a higher division than Brighton at the time. And uh, his father was actually John Harris, who was a, who played for Leeds and Halifax, and his uncle Bill Harris was actually a Welsh international. So there was a lot of pedigree there. Came from yeah. things area. We okay. signed him from Be- from Bexhill. A great name. I mean, it, it wasn't until I, I I looked at the footage and compiled the team this, I, it, it came back to me. But I, it, it just gone from my head as, as as happens to you as you advance through the years, listeners. But one player who wasn't gone from my mind, and I picked him out just to, to touch on him, because I, I, I don't think we've mentioned John Seisman um, enough in previous shows, if we've mentioned him on this, Neil, but he was a wonderful ray of hope in some tough times at the Den, let's be honest. The 76 to 80 John Seisman played for us, and those were difficult, difficult days to be a Millwall fan. Um, but Seisman was one of our strikers. It was always, you always look forward to seeing him. 184 appearances for the Lions, 1976 to 1980. Um, two as sub and 41 goals. An intelligent player, John, I, thought, I always used to think. I always look forward to seeing him play for us. Yeah, somebody I don't think gets recognised, does he? We've certainly no. never spoken about him. No. I don't think he's one of those players, an unfashionable player, pretty much at the time, wasn't he? I think, did we sign him from Chesterfield or somewhere like Luton. that? Luton. We signed Luton. from Luton for £10,000 in April '76. Um, that would have been Gordon Jago's era still. That the 76-77 season was a highly enjoyable period. Um, for the most part, the 70s were tough times to be a Millwall fan, but um, Jago actually got us playing some good football. There's some wonderful games. We beat Chelsea 3-0, and that's another um, YouTube game that you can find, listeners, if you want to check that out. I was there for that one. And these were big moments that made a big impression on me as a, as a young Millwall fan. Um, I was a member of the side that claimed promotion in 76 from Division 3, and I think he played yeah. a key part in that side. He was um, he sold in tough times again. We're back on tough times, tough financial times. Um, sold another joint deal like we did with John Goodman and Kenny Cunningham. This one was with Tony Towner and John Seisman, sold in a joint £185,000 signing for Rotherham. In August 1980, and it gives you a measure of the the club's difficulties in the as the 70s became the 80s, um, the, the financial difficulties of the club. We were lucky to we're lucky to still be here, listeners. But he's a much travelled striker, um, John Seisman Neil. But he, uh, certainly the biggest um, contribution of his career was with Millwall. 158 appearances, uh, sorry, 184 appearances. Two as sub and 41 goals, and that was 76 to 80. He played for Rotherham 100 times after that in the early 80s. But he's been around the around the houses, Cardiff, Rochdale, Chesterfield, um, Tranmere, Northwich, Victoria, Nullington, non-leagues, Accrington and Hyde. Um, you claimed a third division title with Rotherham and a fourth division title with uh, Chesterfield. So he was obviously a player with some ability. Some ability, um, some intelligence. And I... I, I, yeah. I I found, I don't know if it was him, someone called John Seisman was on LinkedIn operating as a football agent. I presumed it to be to be John. Yeah, no, it is the same one. Same chat. Um, the same. Born in 1955, he's now 66. Um, and, and you, you, you got it right there, Neil. He's un, underrated and not, and not mentioned very often. So it's a nice chance to actually mention John because he was one of my favourites in, in the 70s and he, he certainly made for some... Wonderful memories from that that time. You know, as I said, a tough time generally for the Lions. Some other great names in there. I mean, I mean, we've spoken with Trevor Lee and Phil Walker. They they were wonderful players, Neil. Um, I mean, Trevor in his in his own kind of he had a, a Phil um, a Paul Ifill style of, of attacking wing play, which sometimes you wonder how he kept the ball with him. his arms and legs were everywhere, but somehow he got through. And Phil Walker was a very very silky midfielder. Our first. Well, not quite our first players of colour, but um, certainly the first ones I knew of as, as a Millwall fan at this time. 
yeah, with Peterson, I think, was our first one in the very early 70s. Yeah. Uh, but no, the, the, um, considering the club had a reputation at the time for yeah. being slightly right wing, they were two players that really won the hearts and minds of everybody down at Millwall. And yeah, but it shows that I can remember uh, they couldn't find Trevor Lee for a very long no. time. I think he had his problems. I think yeah. he had. And I had think his problems. he was looking after his sister and things yeah. like that. Yeah. And I can remember the first game he came back for, and apparently he said to people, "Will yeah, will they remember me?" <laughs> and uh, and he came out on the pitch, and the place erupted. Yeah, I will never forget him. Um, the same with Phil Walker. These were great players. Um, Absolutely superb players, and these are. This was quite a decent team. It, it really was. was. Ray Evans, a good player. Dave Donaldson, yeah, great defender. Not from Arsenal, and and Goddard in goal, decent goalkeeper. And funnily enough, I think the other week I mentioned about Bart Bierkowski probably being in our top three. Yeah, and it sparked a debate on Twitter, like it always does. <laughs> And somebody actually mentioned Ray Goddard, and it's one of those steady goalkeepers that you don't automatically. You know, you sit back and you think, and you know, you think of your Stepneys, your Brian mm. Kings, your Casey Kellers, Brian Horn, Bart Bierkowski, but Ray Goddard is somebody who doesn't really get remembered. No, well, he he stepped into some big. Boots, forget my metaphor correct, some big football boots in Brian King, who had left us um, for Coventry. Um, I think that was in 75 that Brian left us. <clears throat> so the, the goalkeeper that followed a great, possibly, you know, a, a player that should have played at a very high level, international level, I think. Um, a player that stepped into his shoes, um, always had a hard gig. Um, but Ray Goddard, I think he'd come from Orient, Neil, I believe, didn't he? Um, was he an Orient, ex-Orient goalkeeper, I believe? Yeah. Yeah, well, I think he played in a couple of <clears throat> promotion winning sides for Orient. Certainly went on, I think, did he play for Wimbledon at some point as well? Won a fourth mm. division or won a promotion with them. Don't know. Ended up living in Spain, running a bar, cleaning balls. Unfortunately, died at quite a young age. But, it, but quite an interesting fact about this game is... Apart from it being on my birthday, November the thirteenth, no, well, there we are. and the birthday I share with that, you know, that Emma Ranakanu shares with me. <laughs> that's yeah, that's such a flimsy. That's such a flimsy link to the stars. <laughs> yeah, well, that. Yeah, well, I tell you what, you were being born on the same day as me is the greatest honour of her life. Don't worry about winning the US. Forget the US Open. <laughs> Open, but you actually look at that Luton team. Uh, they went one 0 up. Through Alan West, yeah, Mill player later on, yep. wasn't he? Yeah, and Brian Chambers was at the back for them, and somebody who also had a spell at Millwall. Very solid midfield player, um, Brian Chambers. Another name from my my youth. I believe Peter Anderson was playing for them as well. Um, whether he was playing that on this occasion, not, but it was, it was in that era, and he would go on to mixed reviews as as Millwall manager later on in his career. Um. You don't now, have one bone about him, for God's sake. <laughs> he's now an IT IT guru, isn't he, in, in America? Um, Mate, he, he made a lot of money, Peter Anderson. He, he really did. He ended up running running all kinds of companies. He's somebody I'd quite like to get onto a history show. Yeah, maybe we can pursue him. Yeah. You've hopefully, well, he doesn't listen to anything first. <laughs> we might, might have blotted our copybook there, but let's see what we can find out. But no, wonderful, wonderful game. 4-2, um, some late, late winners for the Lions. I think it was two each coming into the late, late part of the game. And I was there, dear listeners, and I remember... Very still, rare goal for Barry Kitchener. And a great goal. Buried it from on the left. He, for, you know, normally you'd associate Kitchener with a header, but this was actually put away with like the aplomb of a top striker, Neil. Um, and Terry Brisley scored. And, well, we talk about players that that are almost forgotten. Terry Brisley, I know he pops up down the den every now and again. He was a good player. Good midfielder. Like another Orient player, wasn't he? Come yeah, Orient. I think he was I think he was part of that little group. Yeah. Uh Barry Fairbrother. Barry Fairbrother was the name I was looking for then. And um, uh, it was less successful, but it was always a you know Brisley was um a very um willing and 
you know, chirp, I don't know if chirp is the right, so it doesn't really work in a football context, but yeah, that kind of buzz about him in midfield, um, chirpy is the best word I can come up with in the, as I'm speaking, dear listeners. So there we are. So John Seisman, member of that Millwall side that beat Luton 4-2. Do check it out. I'll stick the link for the YouTube um, footage on the on the show notes when we go out. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So moving along, Neil, we've, I, I've dug back into the past. And I think this is Great Minds meeting. <laughs> Like, like, like Bertrand Russell meeting up with Wittgenstein and coming up with the same fixture. Sheffield United 3, Millwall 1, played on the 2nd of February, 1895. I don't remember that one, Neil, do you? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I remember it like it was yesterday. No, well, yeah, well, obviously not. No, I mean it was it was it was a, a big cup game for the Lions at this at this juncture. Um, Mill would have been well, Mill Athletic, I suppose we should call them because yep. that would have been the correct name for the Dockers at this time. Was playing um, on the Isle of Dogs, they would have been, I believe, at the Athletic Ground at this stage, which was the now the site of ASDA on on uh, near um, Cross Harbour Station. If you're working in that area. Um, although this was played actually at Bramwell Lane, I'm, ter- I'm, I'm, I'm going off on a tangent. This is played at Bramwell Lane in the FA Cup first round, um, and I've got a I've got a report here. Yeah, it, it was. <laughs> I think Sheffield United were probably one of the were probably one of the best teams around at the time, and uh, certainly if you look at the team, Rab Howells was uh, just to fill people in was the first Romany Gypsy, I believe, to play for England. He was, and there's a um, again. I'll stick the link in in the show notes because there's a great article on the BBC website from 2014 now um, about Rab House. Um, go, he has various names: Robert Rabbi, as or Ra, not Rabbi, but Ra, Rabbi. I think How um, making history as it puts it as the first Romany player to play for England. Um, and he played, um, he was born in, a, I, don't know what the, I don't know what the politically correct term is, I'm going to call him a gypsy camp, because I think that's what I was brought up to to to, um, to call them. Or there may be uh, travellers now, I don't know what you would what, what the right term is. He's listed as a gypsy camp in the Sheffield, and he's possibly born in a tent, they say, Neil. Yeah, that, that must have been an incredibly har- harsh existence. Absolutely. In, in, in the 1860s, 1870s, when he was born, you Christ Almighty! Yeah, no, the tent, um, and went on to earn a living as a miner. Well, you know, coal mining is not was not exactly um, you know a, a laughing party. Then um, he showed talent as, as on the football field, playing in central defence, um, earning his uh, first professional contract with Sheffield United, which would take us into this particular loss um, for Millwall uh, at, at Sheffield. 
Uh, they went on to join Liverpool in 1898, just before Sheffield United were crowned league champions. Um, apparently, he had a somewhat scandalous private life. Possibly a young lady was um, put in the family way by him, um, and Sheffield United went to some lengths, it says here, to keep that said scandal quiet. Um, eventually, a broken leg would, would end his footballing career in 1903. It was often referred to as the gypsy in the papers. I mean, the papers then were quite um, full fright <laughs> descriptions. Yeah, they weren't, yeah but they weren't exactly politically correct, were they? Uh, no, no, they weren't. No, there's a great photo of of Rabbi Rabbi Howell um, in his England shirt, um, named by the national side in 1895 in a nine nil victory over Ireland. Um, and he was capped a second time in 1899. One of the reasons for his lack of England caps, as, as they put it here quite discreetly, was that football had a, a described a sentimental attitude to gentleman players. And that Rubby Howell was not a gentleman, <laughs> born in a tent just outside Sheffield, having worked as a coal miner from gypsy background. Um, and it says class was a very strong thing, and it may be more class-based than any footballing considerations. Um, and there's there's a, a campaign here to um, to you know to promote his name, and um, you know a remarkable story. I think is probably the best best way we can put it on this show, Neil. Um, yeah, they probably want him. Yeah, they probably want him to get a retrospective England cap now. Don't posthumous. They? Yeah, yeah and all kinds of uh, there's all kinds of things that go around these days. But actually, the goalkeeper was quite an interesting character in that game as well. Fatty Falk. Fatty Falks. There's a famous name. 21 stone, was he? Something like that. I mean, imagine that. I mean, it, goalkeepers then were big men, weren't they? They 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 were there to you know physically impose themselves on the on the play as much as doing any kind of there was less emphasis on, on cat style goalkeeping and more on physical um presence. Yeah, they'd just smash people out of the way, wouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think for the want of a better word. Yeah. <laughs> But also, I think they were in danger of putting their head in where it hurts, and uh, yeah, and you can imagine the likes of Rabbi wouldn't have uh, was no stranger to that. No, yeah, wouldn't actually have hesitated in taking a head off, would he? In well, these some are, of- I mean, we 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 you know we we obviously it's, it has its amusing side now from the perspective of twenty twenty one, but when you read the life story of, of, of Rabbi Howell there, for example, and he was, you know, men of that time, working class guys of that time, they had it hard and no one was going to do them a favour. So you had to be willing to make it happen. You know, no one was going to give you anything there, Neil, were they? No, exactly. And you, know, you say people weren't, in, in, and if you looked at that Millwall side, the majority of them would have been. On the island, living on the island, which so true, yeah, which would have been quite harsh. It's some wonderful adverts. I'm just looking at this. It's a, it's a shot. I can't expand it, listeners. So I'm going with the biggest, the biggest um, headlines I can find. There's, there's a wonderful advert for Clark's world famed blood mixture. It purifies your blood. God knows what was in this stuff. Um, <laughs> thousands of testimonials for having your blood purified with Clark's um, uh, blood of life. It's called. It. God knows what was in that. But the other thing I can see here is um, a, a match, um, like a preview between Bloomfield. This is in the Woolwich League Alliance. A match between Bloomfield and the Jolly Boys 11. The Jolly Boys looks like something out of Only Fools and Horses. Definitely. It's... That's the Woolwich Gazette, 1895. Achtung, Mehlball. Um, but we move along, Neil, on this show. We've gone from the past, but we're going to come forward to another game that I was at. Wonderful moment. It was like the, the, the preliminary to the most wonderful moments in Millwall history. This is a, a 2-0 win for uh, Millwall over Stoke City, dated April the 30th, 1988, um, in front of 12,500 12, at Colblow Lane. Um, wonderful, wonderful day. Um, it would lead us on probably the first moment I remember in the promotion season where it suddenly dawned on me that this was, this, this shit was getting real, you know, until, until this win over, over Stoke in 1988, it all seemed a bit like a fancy, like it was, it, it didn't happen really at Millwall or something would go wrong, but we beat Stoke this day. I think it was, I'm just trying to find the, um, 
the Mill history site to see, tell you who scored the goals this day. Teddy uh, Sheringham scored on 51 minutes and Kevin O'Callaghan scored a penalty on 63. There you go. So two new wins, Teddy and, and, and Cowley. And I think it was this moment, I remember it, as being the moment where I thought, wow, we, we really are in with a chance of going up. Yeah, well, Millwall fans, well, we dreamed, didn't we, in, what, 70-71? Yeah. Or 71-72, sorry. Yeah. When we came within minutes of getting in the first division, we hadn't ever played in the top flight, had we? No. And, uh, well, and it just seemed as if Millwall were never going to play in there. No, I, I mean, we... we... Just looking at the results prior to this game, I mean, we'd won at Leeds 2-1, great win away. But I think there was there was always a sense, or this, this is a personal reaction to it, but there was always a sense of like a cup tie quality to, to us. You know, every game felt like a slight um, FA Cup um, game and we were kind of not quite clinging on by the skin of our teeth, but there was always a, you know, uh, it could all go wrong since, so it could all come to an end and abruptly. Yeah, it's a natural moral pessimism, isn't it? That you <laughs> that things aren't going to go well all of the time, and that you're just no. waiting. You you you're just waiting for something to go tits up, aren't you? Well, we were top. I'm just looking at the position. I mean, we actually in, we were top of the table coming into this game. This two 0 win um, that we're talking about, um, but we had a fairly um, strong pack chasing us. But um, this game put us in a position where a win at, at Hull City, I think we would be promoted if we won at Hull City. But um, little did I know, uh, as, as we left the den after this this win, but results were combined to make us champions at, at Hull City. And that was, un- I, I, you know, I just settled for promotion, not, not winning the thing, you know. Yeah, but it's always... A- Going to be that way, isn't it? That you've you yeah. don't want to you don't want to get trust too it. carried away because you don't trust it, as you said. No, but the great Millwall team: Brian Horn, uh, Keith Stevens, Nicky Coleman, Terry Herlock. It's a classic Steve side. Yeah. Alan McCleary, Jimmy Carter, who was in yeah. his prompt, pomp, yeah. really. Also, yeah, yeah Les Brady, who was our captain, really. I don't know where that came from. Uh, Teddy Sheringham. Tony Cascarino, Kevin yeah. O'Callaghan. That's yeah. one hell of a team. Oh, it's an incredible, it's, it's an iconic side. And, um, you know, the to have been alive in those days was a privilege. And um, I, I just chose this. It, it was quite hard to find any remarkable um, results against Stoke. But I went for this because it is. it remains one of my memories that I'll take to the uh, the rest of my days, um, this 2-0 win, because it... I, I remember distinctly it just dawning on me that wow, this this thing is real. You know, one more, a few more points and we are promoted and we're into Division One. And that was unbelievable. Yeah, was it Sean Ryder that once said, "If you can remember the late eighties, you clearly weren't you there." there. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember large chunks of it, but I'm not Sean Ryder. <laughs> uh, and we would finish indeed champions that season with a four point spread over Aston Villa, and I think that was the bit that really took my breath away because even with our last day um on the on the on the beer week um loss at home to Blackburn we still finished up four points in front of Aston Villa wonderful days um I've wanted to pick out um if I may Neil um our manager John Doherty Mill's greatest manager um and I always think it's slightly remarkable that um Comparatively little is known about him. He, he was not a he was not a personality manager in the conventional sense at the den, was he, John Doherty? No, he was an old school manager, wasn't he? Scotsman, Scotsman, um, um, who had uh, his playing career wasn't wasn't really that. In fact, funnily enough, he started off at St Riox, is it in Glasgow? St Riox, St Rock Rush. I don't know how you pronounce that. St. Then Rock, played for Brentford. And- yeah. Went to Sheffield United, didn't really pull up any trees there. No. Played in the first division, dropped back down to Brentford again. Division three, division four, didn't really do anything. No. Went to Reading. Reading. Then went back to Brentford for a third time, actually played in one of their more memorable teams that won promotion in 71-72. Third place promotion with with, um, fourth division Brentford. 
Um, then finished at QPR, which I think quite a lot of people did back then. <laughs> no, yeah, it was showing a zero appearances for QPR. And that was his playing career. I mean, 317 playing appearances, mostly in the, the lower leagues, Brentford then and Reading were third and fourth division fodder. Um, you know, um, both have become more than what they were back then in, in their different ways. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, a, a, probably a journeyman lower league player of his time. There's nothing nothing to, to hint that he would achieve success as a, as a manager. Um I You've mean, had a bit of a journeyman manager as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, reached us. Brentford and Cambridge, but nothing much to report in, uh, from either. And he actually was with us for a couple of years prior to the, the successful season. He, he, he came in just after George Graham left us, didn't he? Yeah, I think he won a promotion with Cambridge in 78. He took over as manager towards the end of that uh, promotion winning season. Absolutely. And, and uh, a steady manager. You'd look at yeah, you look at his position at Cambridge weren't any great shakes, but he got yeah. them into division two. They finished twelfth, eighth, thirteenth, fourteenth, twelfth, got relegated, which he and, and he left midway through a relegation campaign, which yeah. which must have had a small budget and Wound up at Millwall in July. Wound up at Millwall is probably a good way to put it because I think there was a general sense of loss when when George Graham moved on. He had been saved us from near extinction when we nearly were promoted, uh, relegated to the fourth, fourth division, and then got us promoted in, in difficult times after the Luton um, incidents. In, in he studied the ship, Graham. Graham. Graham actually laid the foundations for yeah. promotion success for the greatest day in the club's history. Um, yeah. Is somebody else who doesn't really get the credit that he deserves? <laughs> yeah, this is a recurring theme. I think. I think we ought to rename this show. <laughs> Neil and Nick's didn't get the credit that they really deserved. Show. Well, I hope that we. I mean, by doing these kinds of shows, I mean, I, you know, I, 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 it's as much as you can do in this life is to try and put in what you, you know, you hope give the recognition to those that you should hopefully get it and. I'm hoping that these podcasts can go some way towards, um, you know, achieving that. With George, George Graham's a very good point, Neil, um, and John Doherty certainly. I mean, it, he he isn't a well-known character. He was an old-school manager, and even as as a fan in the eight, you know, eighty-seven, eighty-eight, eighty-nine season. Apart from the program notes, you didn't really see much or hear of him, did you? You know, it wasn't that kind of time in terms of projection. It's not social media then. Yeah, no, he'd have popped up in the South London press on you what Tuesdays and Fridays, was it still? That was it. I think it probably was. Yeah. Done the media. Uh he'd obviously Yeah, but it'd obviously been in the national papers, but nothing great. Because let's face it, Millwall have never really got much press except when it's bad press. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's be quite frank about it. It's cut to the chase, no, unless unless there's trouble at the den, no one's really interested. Exactly. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> he, was, he was probably, I don't know how, how Millwall thought what kind of job he was going to do when he took over. Was he a steady pair of hands? He inherited the makings of a good squad, didn't he? And obviously, he did, and, and he but he built upon it. I mean, brought some yeah. good players in. I mean, you know, the, the, some of the classic names there. I mean, Carter came in, I think, under his under his stewardship, and obviously he, he brought through um, players that had been there from under Graham, such as Sheringham. Um, but springing Cascarino, I mean, there was a sense. I remember well the sense of genuine excitement when Cascarino and I think George Lawrence signed with us. Um, you know, in, in the kind of summer of '87, which would lead us in, in the end to promotion that season. Yeah, well, yeah, we talk about unsung characters, <laughs> and one of those great unsung characters who would have signed a lot of those players, especially the younger ones, was Bob Pearson. Yeah, yeah, one of the lesser known names. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Behind um, the scenes, man. Yeah, yeah, it was Chief Scout. Scout youth team, whatever, yeah. for many, many years. Doesn't quite get the recognition. Again, it's a recurring thing. Recurring theme. Doesn't quite get the recognition that he deserves. I know that he probably outstayed his welcome by about a decade, which 
which is that's the, the Millwall way. <laughs> yeah, but he was actually Pathetus's uh, advisor, wasn't he, for quite a long time? Oh, it's the Millwall way to outstay your welcome and go stale. But there we are. Um, but no, John Doherty, I mean, you're right, you know, an average playing career, a fairly average, if you want, managerial career, apart from the one um, shining city on a hill that was Millwall winning the second division league uh, championship in 1987-88 and getting promoted to the first division for the first time in its history. And for both of the seasons that it was under his management in the top flight, we went top of the league at least once in um, in those two seasons. So, you know, that remains remains for anyone that lived through it, the, the high point of your Millwall life. Um, more than, for me, more than winning, uh, you know, not winning the cup, but getting to the cup final and then playing in Europe, they, they was, those were great. But this would, remains the moment of um, possibly this can never be touched. Planned, wasn't it? This was, I think it would only now be surpassed if we actually got into the Premier League yeah. and managed to stay there for stay there. <laughs> a year or two. Yeah, it, And then qualify for the European Conference League or something. <laughs> something like that. Yeah, which in Millwall... Yeah, well, you know what Millwall are like. It, it would last about one game before we got thrown out of the competition. <laughs> yeah, we'll probably close the Premier League if we ever, yeah, if we ever got up there. Oh dear, there we are. But so there we are. Yeah, but it's the pinnacle of Millwall history. It's it is the greatest, the greatest single success in Millwall history. The greatest season in Millwall history. Some of the greatest players in Millwall history. Absolutely. It's uh, superlative on superlative. John Doherty, he's still with us. He's born in 1940s. Um, his Wikipedia page says he now lives in retirement in Wiltshire. Born in 19, so he's aged 81. So if you're listening, John, you're very good health, mate. And uh, thank you for everything you've done for the Lions. Achtung, Mailball. Um, last but not least, Neil, I've chosen a historic fixture. Mill versus Huddersfield Town. This one's from 1927. This was an FA Cup game. 3-1 win for the Lions from 1927, featuring um, some players that are, again, you know, the same point that we've made a few times. Some some of these players um, are lesser known in modern terms, but were wonderful, wonderful players. This is a great Mill side that will go on to become a greater Mill side the following season. 1926-27 side. This is a 3-1 win for the Lions. Um, an extraordinary collapse of Huddersfield Town, it says here, in the Athletic News, dated the 8th of January 1927. Um, I won't read it all, but it says, there was no mistaking the superiority of Millwall in their encounter with the league champions of England at New Cross. They won it by 3-1, but that margin does not adequately represent their supremacy. They excelled in every department of the game and took command of it in a way that was not to be denied. Um, wonderful, wonderful report. And goals, I think, for Richard Parker, who's a, um, or Dick Parker, as he's listed on, on um, Wikipedia. And I've just picked him out to, to review. But this, this, that's quite a result there. And it's 3-1 over the league champions of England, Huddersfield. A great, great scene. I think, hadn't they won it three times on the spin in the in the, in the 20s under Herbert Chapman now? Yeah, then I think he, he they were the Bank of England team, weren't they? Or, or was that Arsenal? I forget now. They were certainly up there with them, weren't they? And, uh, and then Chapman left to take over Arsenal and uh, and took one or two of the players with him. But, but this was a good Millwall side. Joe Lansdale in goal, Jack Fort, Dick Hill, Alf yeah. Amos, Billy Bryant. Len Graham, I think we've covered him in a couple of we've mentioned him. Shows, yeah. yeah, George yeah. Chance, Archie Gom, yeah. Parker, Wilf Pee Wee Phillips, and Alf Black. So one or two England internationals in there. Hill Hill certainly was an international. Bryant was a very very good amateur in his day. Uh, I think signed from Clapton or somewhere like that. Right, right. Uh, was certainly an England amateur international. I believe he actually won full England caps as well. Len Graham. Goals for um, Brown um, and then Gom and oh, Black. Uh, uh, Mill's third goal came from a fine movement. Black finally sending it across, which cannoned off the post into the net. 
And the journalist that covered the game for the Athletic News um, says he's, he had never never seen Mill play a better winning game. And he's never seen Huddersfield, the league champions, to less advantage. Nice turn of phrase they used to have in those those days. Yeah, well, actually, yeah, well, it happened. Yeah, we covered the game, I think, in one of our last history shows was when the champions of England last pitched up at the Den. Absolutely. And got their backsides handed to them, Leicester City. Yeah, this would have been the equivalent for the for the Lions in 1927. Um, because we'd only been a football league side for six or seven years, years at that point. That's right. Would have been a, a, a huge crowd there at the Den. Um, Thirty-five thousand nine hundred and sixty-five thousand. I mean, that was. I mean, the the, the capacity was famously forty-eight thousand. The very idea, listeners, that you could get forty-eight thousand people in the Den. If you've ever visited there, you'll know what I mean. Was incredible. I mean, I used to feel health and safety was an optional. Yeah, we didn't have have football safety certificates and lurch. Can you imagine lurch would have been walking around on this day? They'd been been having a stroke every five seconds. Thirty-five thousand. I mean, the biggest crowd I was ever involved in, uh, the official crowd at least, would be the Liverpool game in the towards the end of the first season at at the uh, Coldblow Lane. Um, and that was, I think, officially twenty three and a half thousand in there, and it was packed. Listeners, honestly, I I got there late for that one, and I managed to. I was at the very, very back of the cold blow lane, because you just couldn't get through the, the the sheer massed ranks of bodies in the in in the den. And it was the only time this ever happened to me. But um, we scored. I think we opened the scoring against Liverpool. We did lose it in the end to a great, great Liverpool side. But um, I was actually, the, the surge of the crowd lifted me off my feet. I've never never had this before or since, where you're literally, you have no control over yourself. You're carried forward. So, and I finished up actually further forward and, and actually in quite a nice spot. I got a good view of the game after that. I couldn't see a thing prior to that. But you know, the, the idea of 35,000 in there, Neil, incredible. Yeah, it's one incredible. of many out-of-body experiences suffered, oh, oh, experienced at Millwall for you, Nick. Absolutely, it was. <laughs> I've picked out Dick Parker because, again, to to continue a a theme, um, a player that isn't so well known nowadays. Um, nineteen eighteen ninety four to nineteen sixty nine. Um, he played for Millwall from um eighty eight times, and he scored. Get this, listeners, eighty eight appearances. He scored sixty two goals from eighty eight. Yeah. In all competitions, I think he made 107 appearances and scored 74 goals, which isn't quite as good. So we will stick with yours. <laughs> this is from Wikipedia. Sometimes I'm a little bit um, wary of Wikipedia's stats. But anyway, it's got it laid out in a grid here, so I've got no reason. Would you like to, to know some more about Mr Parker? Yeah, I would love to. He, he was the Army's lightweight boxing champion wow. and was actually spotted when serving in France with the Northumberland Fusiliers. I went straight into Sunderland's first division side. It's a shame we didn't ask Mark, uh, Mark Metcalf on one of our other shows. Right, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it has probably still been talking about him. <laughs> <laughs> to cut that. <laughs> he still holds the club's goal-scoring record of 37 goals in 1927. Wow. But apparently... He's uh yeah well, we yeah we talk about recurring themes yeah relations with the club's directors were not cordial. <laughs> yeah, there's, no, there's no, nothing new. One of the first things I was ever told when I started work, listeners, back in 1977. So the really old character used to run a cinema, and now he finished up working for the civil service. And I remember him saying to me, "Well," and I didn't really know what he meant. But as as my life has gone along, I now know what he meant. Robbie, his name was. He said, Nick, he had this little pencil thin moustache. He said, Nick, there is nothing new in this life. And I thought, I don't know what you're talking about. But now, here I am at the age of 60. I know exactly what Robbie was talking about. There is nothing new in this life, Neil, is there? <laughs> no, and he actually left early in our in our title winning campaign, the, the previous uh, or the following season, which went to Watford for four grand. Yeah. Oh, he must have fallen out badly. Um, for I mean, I, I don't know what um, kind of fee that would be in modern terms, but um, to to lose a striker um, capable of scoring in eighty eight league games, um, sixty two goals, you know, you wouldn't do that lightly. 
Um, but this would be under the management of Bob Hunter, Neil, wouldn't it, at this time? The great Bob Hunter, the greatest manager, arguably, apart from John Doherty, I suppose, perhaps. Probably one of the greatest servants the club's ever had, certainly. We talk about Bob Pearson bringing people through. Bob Hunter was an unbelievable figure in, in the early Absolutely. years of Millwall history, a Scotsman. A Scotsman who, and a rugged individual. Um, who would famously disappear off up to Scotland at the... <laughs> At the end of every season, up towards his uh, Montrose R. Broth kind of way, and would return with three or four signings for us. Absolutely, absolutely. Because, because obviously he was a Scotsman, he was, and we still had a strong link with the area. Of course, all of our early years, there's an awful lot of Scotsmen for Millwall. But Bob Hunter, I think, have, yeah, did we ever do a? history show on him previously. We, we did, and I can stick the link, because we covered that in one of our, our Millwall history shows. Very interesting character, Neil. I don't, definitely, I don't... definitely worth a revisit, and if anybody... Yeah, see what we can do with it. it. You have a listen to, you have a certainly to that one, because Bob Hunter was a fascinating character, somebody that served us for donkey's years. I mean, the size of his task and... here, I mean, you know, we mentioned Dick Parker's overall stats, but 1926-27, the season of this particular fixture, um, he made 40 appearances in the third division south and scored 37 goals, but then released for whatever reason by the Millwall hierarchy. So the task of the manager to replace a 37 league goal striker, which would stretch any manager, well, Bob Hunter did. The following season, 1927-28, which we go on to, I think, to win the third division south championship, Neil, replace a 38-goal striker. Okay, so he brings in the Landells, who scores 33. Jack Cock, we've mentioned previously, with 26 goals. And Phillips, who scores 27 goals. Have that. <laughs> yeah, funnily enough, you were just asking about uh, how much £4,000 would have been. Yeah. So it, it would have been the equivalent of... Two hundred and fifty-six thousand seven hundred. Okay. Sorry, nine hundred seventy-seven pound and seventy-eight pence. So a decent fee. Inflation of an uh, average four point six a year. That's decent. according to the Bank of England website. Well, we've got to trust. You, you can tell that we're making this up on the hoof, really. Yeah, can't I'll edit that so it sounds like it's so super smooth that you know. He <laughs> would go on to play for Watford after he left Millwall. Um, not and with anything. Spent one season there. Yeah, returned to his native North East Redcar, I believe, and that was it. Um, Dick Parker, um, one of Mill's great players, actually, and and this is a great uh, chance just to mention these kinds of players. I think that um, they should be um, memorialised in a better way than I think sometimes we've we you know the, the club does that does an okay job. But I think the ground should reflect some of these. Names we've, we've mentioned, Voisey and and, and, uh, and and Bob Hunter and others. I think more should be known about these players. But there we are, dear listeners. That's the last of the October fixtures, Mill versus Huddersfield. Um, great little show. I quite enjoy doing these, Neil. They give a chance to two old gits to waffle about the olden days, doesn't it? Yeah, as my, yeah, as my son says, two boomers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, boomer. <laughs> yeah, but we're boomers. But, but you know, it, it, yeah, but we might not make much sense. We might go off on a tangent. Uh, well, that's what it's all about. The tangents are where the where, where the joy lies. But it's opinion. actually an hour's good listening, I think. I yeah, hope so. yeah, yeah, it's probably a little bit less by the time you edit out one or two <laughs> remarks that we'll make. But, well, uh, I- I hope you enjoy listening to it, dear listeners. We're not going to stop doing it, even if you don't. So get used to. It. <laughs> yeah, but we're in for the long run here. I oh, didn't... mate, aren't we just? Aren't we? Just... Yeah, well, I didn't sign for you from a rival podcast for us to stop after three months <laughs> for a four thousand pound deal, like, like <laughs> the equivalent Give a packet in... of fruit pastels. In, 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 in hundred years' time, that'd be worth a quarter of a million. Lovely stuff. There we are. That's the end of Millwall uh, History Hour with Neil and Nick. Um, I hope you enjoyed listening to it, dear listeners. Um, big thank you to Neil for joining me. Thank you very much indeed, mate. And we will be back this, at some point with one or two other Nick yeah. and Neil's or Neil and Nick's History Hours. 
late October, ready for November, and the old nights are drawing in. So yeah, and there'll be one or two other little specials that we've got planned, and yeah, one or two ideas, one or two books to promote. Hint, hint. <laughs> That's great stuff. Big thank you, dear listeners. Thank you for tuning in. Join us again uh, for the next show um, in due course. Until then, bye for now. Thank you for listening to Aspen Millwall. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a cheeky little review. A Riverdale Millwall. Till next time. Who do you want to watch? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.